We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, president of Pioneer X, and today we're here with Mark and Marsha. Hi, I'm Marsha Bivens, director of marketing. And I'm Mark Bivens, VP of sales. Today we're here with Ian Ginsberg, the most interesting man in pharmacy, owner of CO Bigelow, America's oldest apothecary. In New York City. So how have you been? I, I, I stressed out of this because I'm like, I was telling Mark coming into this, we're going to be an hour later and we're going to go, they're about 40 things I still wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, oh, we're living the dream here in New York City. Oh, yes. Uh, we, we can talk an every, hour. Yeah. Every day is better than the next. It's, well, that's a, that's probably true, right? Probably only one direction uh, to go, right? Yeah. Uh, no. No? Okay. I was, hoping it was, I was hoping it was going up. Sorry. Sorry. It's a little rough here in the cities. Yeah, I mean, half the people have gone. Right? Just oh, so oh, wow. packed up and left. So you got half the population left. Uh, we have zero tourists, zero. Oh, wow. Um, and there's no commuters because no one's going to work because they can't get into elevators and go up to high rises. So um, it's it's pretty dismal. I'm looking out, uh, you know, the center of the West Village right now at 11 o'clock on a nice, you know, spring day, and I don't see one person. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I've been to your store, I think, once for sure. Marsha took me and... Uh, I dragged him. I couldn't imagine because there was just people <laughs> everywhere. There was just... Yeah. I, uh, so made... now this would be the time that you would like to go to New York. <laughs> yeah. I don't... He I like do the crowds. people. Cle- I like seeing the Clearly, people. Clearly. I'm sorry. Mark, Mark yeah. doesn't do crowds. I, I like New York. <laughs> I am going to the Nick game tonight, but it's a whole process to go and they're only... It's only... They're only allowed 10% uh, occupancy. 10%? What, what's the process? What, what do you have to do? So now you, you, if you've been vaccinated, you actually have a vaccination like app on your phone. So you don't have to do that. But prior to this, you'd have to go get tested three days prior and the night of, um, but you have to, you have to fill out a form. You have to have this vaccination passport. Um, I don't know if they test you when you walk in, but they do check your temperature and stuff, but it's only 2000 people out of 20,000. Wow. That's got to be weird. Doesn't seem like that pays the bills. And, and you know, it's kind of the fun of a, of a game is the people. The and, energy. Yeah, yeah, the energy. Yeah. Kind of like Especially the next game. Next games are fun. Oh, yeah. With, with 2,000 people, it'd be like, oh, okay. It's like a, it's <laughs> it's like a high like, school game. Yeah, yeah. Each section, there's maybe 20 people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let, let's roll back. I, we know you, but we want to introduce you. So you're going to have to tell, you're going to have to tell some of your story. Um, got it. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, C.O. Bigelow, the oldest apothecary in the United States. Uh, how, how did this happen? Uh, so C.O. Bigelow was founded in 1838 as the village apothecary shop uh, in post-colonial America. The apothecary shop was kind of the gathering place, and that's where you'd go to get diagnosed and treated. Many of the early apothecaries were founded by doctors, and ours was founded by a doctor also named Dr. Galen Hunter. Um, you would go into the apothecary, you'd say, if there was something wrong with you, say, I, you know, my skin is bothering me or I have this cough and the pharmacist would go in the back and mix up something for you. And then you knew when you got it, it was the thing that you were, you know, was going to treat you. Um, the pharmacy was then passed on from employer to employee. And then it was, uh, a guy named Clarence Otis Bigelow took over in 1880 and changed the name to CO Bigelow. 
Okay. Um, a quicker story is in 1902, he built the building we're in. He, he moved two doors north. He built this building that we're in today. It's called the Bigelow Building. And we've been here for 119 years. Wow. Um, continued to be passed on from employer to employee. And, and it was run down during the Depression. It was owned by the employees, all of them. And my grandfather found it in 1939 and bought it with his brother-in-law. So it's been in the family for uh, 82 years. Wow. And that was your wow. grandfather. W yep. W was your grandfather a pharmacist? What would have been in that? Um, so my grandfather was at that time, they called it a PhD, which was probably an advanced degree in pharmacy. Mm -hmm. uh, came here from Eastern Europe and studied by candlelight, you know, a typical immigrant story. Right. And he ended up buying the business with his brother-in-law who wasn't a pharmacist. Um, and, uh, you know, then my dad was brought up in the business and my, my great uncles, uh, my cousins were brought up in the business. So that, that's really when the family business was born. So your grandfather, where did he live? Lived in Brooklyn. Okay. He was, he was a religious guy, uh, Orthodox Eastern European Jew, owned a bunch of pharmacies in Brooklyn, very ethical pharmacists, all about the science. Okay. Um, and then he found this place and there was just something about it that he really loved. It was the first time he ever had anything in New York. And uh, they bought it. So what would that commute have been like back then? Yeah. Oh, probably, well, the cars were pretty slow then, but probably 30, 40 minutes by car. Okay. Maybe. So not horrible. That had no, been no, not over the Brooklyn Bridge? Over, uh, I'd have to go back and find out which bridges were there, but Brooklyn, Manhattan <laughs> Bridge, yeah. I don't think the tunnels were, were around yeah. then. <laughs> not, not also going, true, yeah. Not going through the tunnels. All right, so then yeah. your dad grew up in the pharmacy, was a pharmacist? My dad grew up in the business. Okay. Uh, we were a musical family. My dad was a musician, um, and oh. that was what he wanted to do. Uh, grew up playing in the mountains uh, in the summers. Uh, had a band. He was a band leader. And um, but my gr grandfather, being you know an immigrant, didn't think music was a career, so he forced him to go to school. Uh -huh. It took him a long time to graduate. He flunked out a bunch of times and finally graduated uh, in, the, in 1952 and then reluctantly joined the family business. Continued to play a little bit, but he, he ended up joining the family business in 52 with his cousins. Does that, does that mean you're a musician as well? Yeah, so the whole family is. Nice. So yeah, my mom was a concert pianist. My dad was a band leader. I, was a, I followed almost a similar route as my dad. I was a musician also. Played professionally in my you know, late teens, early 20s. Um, but I did go to school at the same time. So we have a family band. Um, okay. But yeah, we're not together that often, but when we are together, we all, we'll all play. There's always something, when the, when the kids were in the house, somebody was always playing or two people were always playing together. That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. cool. All of them play. My daughter, my other son, they all had bands in college. Hmm. Um, so you played professionally. What did you play? I'm a drummer. Drummer, okay. So I, yep. So I played, uh, you know, club dates, so weddings, uh, you know, parties, uh, dinner and stuff. I did anything you can make a living doing. I did community theater. I did jingles. Oh, um, no. Did you do Broadway? Work. I know you don't like Broadway. Did you? Did you no, were you no. A drummer on Broadway? Broadway's a full time job. One of my drum teachers used to play in chorus line, and I used to go with him. Um, after my lesson, I had a lesson. I used to take lessons in in the in Times Square. And uh, he played chorus line. So after my lesson, I would go with him and sit in the pit. Very yeah. cool. Nice. So well, what place did you get to see or per, kind of participate in? 
Oh, no. Um, me, I did community. And so with him, I just saw Chorus Line. I can't tell you how many times, right? But, um, but um, That's why he I doesn't did, like um, Broadway. <laughs> when, you know, even where it. you live, probably there is, I, probably not, you know, not during COVID, but prior to COVID, they probably had community theater in areas and they have people from the community who do these shows and they'll always hire a couple of musicians, real musicians to, mm-hmm. to, to, to make, you know, so the drummer is somebody they usually hire. So I've done a lot of that. Um, yeah, so, you probably uh, notice and, you probably notice a bad drummer. <laughs> you, <yeah>. know? <laughs> you know, for, for the communities, they generally have musicians all over, but they'll hire the keyboard player, they'll hire the drummer, you know, that right, kind of stuff. Right. So what was the coolest place you ever played? What was the coolest gig? Uh, I played in a lot of clubs in New York. So I played CBGB once. I guess that was kind of cool, um, which is, you know, was legendary. Um, I've played at uh, a place called Lewis Friedman Snafu, uh, a lot of cool stuff. When I played weddings, I played in some really amazing venues out in the Hamptons, oh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So something drew you into the business. So so we're we're musicianing. We're getting by. We're we're living. Uh, well, so throughout my childhood, I had to work here every weekend, every Saturday, every holiday after school. I went to music school all my life, and I went in the city often. And so, when I would go to music school, like on Saturday mornings, I'd go to music school, and my father would say, "When you're done at twelve o'clock, you need to be back here." And so I would work that, and, and so I worked that way. Um, I did want to go to music school, and my parents would let me go a little further, like for for college. But they said, "They said, why don't you go to pharmacy school?" My father always believed you can, you need a degree to do something. So he said, why don't you go to pharmacy school so that when you're starving as a drummer later on, at least you'll have this license yeah. to do something. So Our access said, to right. drugs, drummers. Side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Musicians um, and pharmacy. So I started at University of Maryland. Uh, I went undergrad for two years and then I transferred. Um, and the story is not important. I was supposed to go somewhere else, but I ended up saying, let me move back to New York. So I moved back to New York and went to uh, Long Island University, um, College of Pharmacy. And I worked as a musician while I was going to pharmacy school. Um, then when I got out of school, uh, it wasn't necessarily a job for me, um, and I didn't know if I wanted to spend the rest of my life in a white coat counting pills. So um, I kind of had to go to work every day and just figure out what to do with myself and not get in anybody's way. <laughs> and that was killing. And that was 1985. 1985. Okay. So wow. so how did that? So you were the one who brought in the products. This the Co Bigelow. Product the beauty, beauty line, the, beauty line, the yeah. Help. Well, it was it was it was uh, uh, that came over time. Basically, what happened in 1985? Although you had chain drug stores everywhere in in the in the country, New York City was never really a chain place. But the chains were beginning to come. You had Genovese and Rite Aid, and my father and his friends used to get together and they said, "We're going to fight these chains," you know. And they would get together weekly and they would think about um, they would run circulars and they would think about how much the Bic lighters were going to be in the circular the following week. And I, I walked out, you know, I came out of school and I go, oh, it just kill me. I, this is not the life I want for myself. And I said, you know what? At that time, we were about 140 years old. I said, listen, we're 140 years old. We have something everybody else doesn't have. I'm always one like when everybody's going one way, I'm going to go the other way. Mm-hmm. So I, I said, the chains are going to have 8,000 stores one day and you're not going to compete with that anyway. They're going to laugh at you. So um what I did notice was that the chains were creating, make, turning the pharmacy business into a commodity business, just an empty box business, right, right. Um, and taking all the heart and soul out of it. And, um, and I said, you know, the, the, the people don't want this to happen. So why don't we focus on doing, you know, on being what people want you to be and let them all run and chase themselves. And so the first thing I did when I got here was just, just focused on what happens when you walk in the door. Mm. You know, how can we disrupt that experience 
um, and make it, you know, make it, make it something more emotional. And so I worked on this staff, what happens when they walk in, how they feel when they're there. Um, I was fascinated by European pharmacies because, you know, the, the pharmacist is holding a super high regard still in Europe yeah. in France oh, yeah. and England and Italy. Um, and, um, I started importing products from Europe, um, just little things here and there. Um, in those days, it's funny how, how technology has changed. There was no fax machine. There was no internet. There was no nothing. I literally would go and stay in a hotel. I'd rip out pages from the yellow pages. Um, you couldn't call because that was a very expensive European phone call and they didn't speak English. So I would, you would use telexes and I would telex back and forth. And I started ordering products from Europe and all of a sudden we got this reputation for having some really interesting, cool things. And it created a place where people wanted to go and wanted to discover. Hmm. And that was kind of the beginning. And then that evolved into, um, a catalog. Uh, all of a sudden people started calling us on the phone. We didn't know what to do with them. So we developed a catalog. Um, our first catalog was like a Jay Peterman kind of thing where I would write down, I was in Paris and I had a cold and I went to the local pharmacy and I found these lozenges and I would write about it like Jay Peterman would. Nice. And then that, Aww. yeah. You're and then that evolved, yeah, that evolved into a full color catalog and, and, uh, and that went on from there. So what about though the CO Bigelow branded products? Well, so we always had some. And I always, and uh, in addition to all of this, we have a warehouse full of history. We have books, bottles, photographs, some of the things you see behind me. I have everything, um, you name it, recipe books, old prescription books. I have hundreds of them. And um, I knew that there was something there that we could really do. So, you know, that, 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 there, there was a brand there. Um, but I needed to work on the branding first. I needed to make sure we put Bigelow in the right position. So I spent a lot of time with the catalog and, and just little by little. And I figured one day I would do something. Um, in the mid-90s, uh, when indie makeup brands were on the rise, um, we ended up in the makeup business by accident. Um, we had a makeup line called Alchemy, and we got a lot of traction early on. We were in, before we knew it, we were in Sephora and Nordstrom and all these things. It wasn't really where I wanted to go um, uh, in the makeup business, but we ended up there by accident. And um, and uh, that's a, another story, but that's a business I never want to be in again. But um, <laughs> while we were traveling around the you know the country and the world talking to retailers, retailers would say to us, you know, this is really great, but when are you going to do something with this Bigelow brand? Because that's the real brand we want to talk about. Huh. Yeah. And um, so I said, yeah, I'll get there. You know, uh, you know, I'll get there. I, I, I knew that the brand was pr gonna be, probably going to be more powerful than I. And so I, was I figured I'd wait until I had the right partner. Um, and all of a sudden, phones started ringing, doors started, you know, people started knocking on the door. And um, I also wasn't worried about another 180-year-old apothecary trumping me to the, to the, to the case. Right. Not a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Um, we, a lot of the, a lot of the people that approached us, um, were interesting, but they all wanted the business. They all wanted everything. Oh, right. And I was still young and, and I was still having, I was having fun and I was like, the business is, I, I, I don't want to sell the business. I want to be part of it. Um, so the, the short of it is in back in 2003, I got approached by the new CEO of Bath and Body Works. They were on a mission to kind of change the trajectory of the business. Um, and he said, um, uh, he said, we want to, you know, I have this vision for Bath and Body Works. We want to create a destination for these great brands. We love your brand. We think it's amazing. It's got authenticity. Uh, I said, well, that's funny. I got a whole plan right here. I, I know exactly what I want to do. I'm just waiting for a partner. Hmm. And um, I said, um, but uh, I had a couple criteria. I said, I've been down this road before and I, I had a couple of things I need. 
And it took us a little while to figure it out, but back in 2003, we partnered up in October of 2003, and um, we created this partnership where um, they gave me, you know, I was part of this team. They gave me all the resources, product developers, marketers, designers, creative, and we went to work and created, and, and really, we had some stuff, but then we just went to town and started going through the archives and creating this, and that's how it started. So how's that? I think last time we talked to you, uh, you were doing a lot of stuff in Japan, right? Yes. So how is yeah, all so, that going? So we have a pretty uh, robust uh, hotel amenity business globally um, in all the continents, China, Japan, Middle East, Africa, the U.S., Europe. Um, but yeah, of course I, used to, COVID, I used to see your products at the at Cosmopolitan in Vegas. Correct. Um Correct. I don't think we're there now, no, but we, we were there for a lot of years yep. from the minute they launched. Yeah. Um, so we have a pretty robust business, um, but of course, COVID has done away with that. Um, and uh, hopefully a little bit, it's starting to come back now. Um, but um, uh, we do sell our products uh, internationally. And one of our biggest markets or one of the biggest markets is Japan. So we um, we have kind of a shop and shop in a famous department store in Osaka called Hankyu. Um, and then we also sell in stores all over Tokyo. Oh, um, wow. You know, we don't have too many American things left and kind of the American apothecary is an institution. And, um, you know, it's, it's, there's, you know, you know, despite uh, what some people may think, American heritage is really interesting to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it resonates it, and it hits people emotionally, both in China, in Japan, in Europe, in the UK. So, um, yeah. Uh, you, you said going back into the archives when you were talking about it. So are you saying the, the stuff that the Bigelow brand um, products that are out there are, are formulations out of a out of a book, out of a out of stack of yeah, actually, something so, from, yeah. from way back when. So the last <laughs> time I was, one of the times I was there to visit you, you showed me, and it was just like so cool because I geek out on this history stuff, um, like the books behind him. That's um, like recipes and of compounds. Like even for like the you said the simple mouthwash. You said I think the thing that you told me that I was like that's really cool fact was that y'all would compound something and if a doctor or somebody came in and goes, yeah, I really like this recipe, then y'all go, great, that's Dr. Jake's mouthwash. Yeah. Yeah, so it's um, we have um, hundreds of prescription books that go back through the years, right? And in those books are all these, you know, everything. It's funny, people ask me today, they'll go to me, are you a compounding pharmacist? Yeah. And I want to laugh at them and go, well, for the first 130 years, that's all we did. <laughs> right. Um, right? Um, and we, you know, but um, so we have all the prescription books that go back to the 1800s. But the, our biggest treasure, we have recipe books. And so um, exactly as Marsha say, said, it's, um, you know, even to this day, we'll compound a, something from Marsha, right? And, um, and, you know, compounding is like cooking. We know what the ingredients are. And, but each of us will do it a slightly differently. It's like cooking. You know, you'll all make a lasagna a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marsha may come to me and she'll say, hey, I really like that, uh, that, that lotion you made for me last month. But I liked it better when I got it two months ago. And so what we'll do is we'll have the pharmacist record it exactly as they made it. And so this time Marsh will get it the same way every time. And sometimes we'll record it as Marsh's lotion. Um, if it's a doctor who writes it a lot, um, sometimes we'll record it as the doctor's name. And sometimes we'll just call it what it is. So we have these formula books that Marsh was referencing where we have all these recipes that go back over a hundred and something years. 
Um, some are named after patients, you know, mm-hmm. Mrs. That's Jones is whatever. Some are named after doctors, like the mouthwash. Mm-hmm. And some are just named what they are, like our lemon body cream. Some of our products are, we have are called formularies, and they're actually formulas that we ripped out of our recipe books as close as we could get. Um, some of our uh, products are inspired by old products. So for instance, um, you know, before we had chemical surfactants, we made lots of cleansers with emulsified oils. So we make a bunch of, um, cleansers that are surfactant free that are, that use emulsified oils that are inspired by recipes. And some are kind of new things that we just, uh, that we just do for fun. Yeah. There, there, it was like a really like like I can, I could see this eventually going to the Smithsonian because it was just that cool to see. I mean, it's it's like his pharmacy pharmacy history. I use the I use the lemon body wash. Oh yeah, yeah. he likes or, the lemon. Yeah, I, think so <laughs> I think it's body wash. Sorry, yeah, it's not the, to get yeah. weird on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark? Well, we make this lemon body cream that goes back to 1870, and we make it almost you know as close as we can to the the original, and that's probably one of our better selling products. Huh. Very cool. So so not living. What's the most interesting patient that came to the pharmacy? So we have records for Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, we have records for Mark Twain. Um, there's a bunch of legends about Thomas Edison burning his finger while he was working on the light bulb a few blocks away, but that one I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> um, um, Mrs. Condé Nast. I mean, we took care of, you know, the, the, when people didn't travel a lot, um, you know, people tended to, to remain in neighborhoods, and this neighborhood was always probably an it was an affluent-ish neighborhood. So we have a lot of affluent customers. If you go through the books, the names won't mean a lot to me, you know, me or you. But New York historians would be like, "Whoa, look at who you know, look who these customers were." Um, but we've always been that place um, uh, where we have a lot of trust. So we've always been that place where people trusted us. And if you think about it today, and I, I try to, I try to explain it to people, you know, everybody's information is so digital. You know, you go to the doctor, they don't hand you a piece of paper anymore. Everything's going through, you know, everything's going online and especially celebrities or notable people <clears throat> are so nervous about their information, yep. you know, getting, and so people put a lot of trust in us um, and so we'll take, we take care of a lot of people, you know, a lot of them, some anonymously, some under aliases, but we take care of a lot of people because they, tr- you know, they trust that, that, you know, whatever comes here stays here. Yep. So what's next? You think, so, um, in the hotels and doing some international stuff. And if you, if you ever need me to travel and check some of those out, I'd yeah. be, yeah, I'd be glad be to, too. I, I know that can be a struggle. <laughs> QA but, road trip. So, no, so, you're quite the traveler though, as I see. Yeah. So what, um, what's next? Well, we're we're trying to navigate our way through this and hoping, you know, figuring out where the finish line is going to be. We hope it's somewhere near. Um, We don't know. We're all in this tunnel. We don't know what's going to be on the other side of the tunnel. I do believe, you know, we're in a major city where the major cities have been hit the hardest. Um, I am doubling down. I still believe that, and and I've said this for years, you know, about the retail experience. Everybody talks about the retail experience and I think they define experience by how cold and calloused and how many TV screens and spiral, you know, flashing lights they can put in a place or how many iPads. Mm-hmm. We've, we've defined experience as an emotional, you know, one-on-one uh, interaction between people. Um, like even if you want Tylenol, you have to ask for it. Um, and we still believe that that's the way to go. It's not like on aisle five. Um, but and I and I I am doubling down that as people have been locked up in their homes, staring at a computer screen all day and on their phone all day, that when when the lights get turned back on and they go outside, I think 
I think they want to be in a place where they can put their phone in their pocket and just experience and be in the mm-hmm. experience of the moment, right? So I am, I am uh, doubling down on the fact that there will still be, a, despite how devastating this has been for so many retailers and pharmacies, that will will our, our what we do will be much as as important or more important than it ever was. Um, I am nervous about the future of pharmacy. Um, about what it looks like with you know digital pharmacies and delivery services and the like, um, but I'm going to see how it goes day by day. I do tell people you know you know if you're a woman who needs a birth control pill or an antibiotic once in a while or or or, or an inhaler, um, if somebody's riding by on a bicycle and throws a bag through your window, that that works for that, right? Yeah. But we deal with sick people who right. really need care and, and um, who care and concern and and. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to, and, and you know how I feel about you and with the help of you guys, with the amazing, you know, the technology that we've implemented and with, uh, you know, with the ability to pick your brain, you've really shown us how we should really take a step forward. And so through Pioneer, Pioneer RX and through, you know, we're doing compliance packaging and we're doing MedSync and we're doing, we're trying to do, um, you know, as much as we can. Um, we hope that that'll take us through because no matter what I do, I can, I can make shower gel, I can make lip gloss all day long, but that's only as important as the core. Right. And the core is this 180 year old apothecary that means so much to people. Um, so I'm always concerned about what that is. Nice. All right. So I got to get this one out. Um, so I don't forget it. Uh, we were talking about you and kind of pre and, and, and talked a little bit about Alex and how amazing Alex was. And, and so how do you do that? So you talk about you've had the business three generations, right? Your grandfather, your dad, you, Alex working in the pharmacy, great kid. Usually that doesn't happen, right? Usually people get more affluent and kind of kid wants to be, well, not, let's not say a musician, <laughs> but, but no, cause it works out. So sorry, Alec. Um, yeah. So, so how, what, what's your, what's your secret? How, how did, what did your dad do to raise you right? And, and what did you do to raise your kids right? Um, I don't, I, I think if you, you can ask Alec, he'll tell you the same thing. Um, and I have three kids. Alec is the oldest. Uh, I had other plans for Alec. Uh, I said, you know, um, I, you know, I work hard. I've worked, uh, six, seven days, days a week, my entire life. I, as you know, I travel all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't as present as most dads were. Um, I said to him younger on, Alec was um, um, very, very, you know, advanced in math. He's got an analytical mind. And I said to him, this is the plan. You know, you're going to go to business school. Then you're going to go work in consulting. Then you're going to go back and get your MBA. And I said, this, you know, and um, he said, no, I want to do what you do. And I go, why? And he said, of, of all my friends' dads, and I'm not the most successful financially by a long shot. He said, you're the only guy who likes what he does. Huh. And um, nice. so yeah, I said, Whoa. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said that at a young age. And I said, wow, that's amazing. I said, I do love what I do. Um, I don't love it as much during COVID as I right. did before. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but, um, but I said, okay. I said, here's the deal, though. I said, you have to go to pharmacy school. And it really sucks. Um, but <laughs> You're like, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'm going to be honest it's with all, you. It's awful. Um, um, but it's non-negotiable. Um, yeah. So, you know, not only did he go to pharmacy school, but he got into Eshelman, you know, at Chapel Hill. Yeah. And um, he spent a lot of years there. And um, what do you call it? And he hit the floor running. Um, so I don't know. I think I think my kids, uh, uh, if, if I, you know, whether it was for good or bad, I think they got my work ethic because my other kids yep. are pretty, you know, are, 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 are doing great. 
Um, and I think they, they also, they learn the importance of liking what you do. If it's going to be, do, you yeah. know, I'm doing this 36 years. If you're going to do it that long, it better be, you, you, you know, it's hard to get out of bed when you, when you hit your job. Yep. So now, didn't he also intern under Joe Moose? Um, he did, uh, he did some externships. I don't know. Did he do, I, I know he spent time with him. Yeah. Because Joe Moose is, is not, yeah. And I think Joe Moose has been to the university. Um, he did like what I did rather than, um, just do externships, uh, at regular pharmacies. He found more interesting ones to do since he grew up here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Joe Moose was amazing. Yeah. I've never met him, but I, I, I hear amazing things about the guy. So just so that way, if your kids watch this, you, they don't get left out. We don't so, have really equal time. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, why uh, Google, I thought. Yeah, you, your daughter's at Google. And what oh, is wow. your... My, oh, so my daughter was at Google. She lived in San Francisco for a bunch of years. And then she, uh, it's probably my fault. I've always told my kids there are you know, 300 million people who live in the U.S. and 7 billion who don't. If you get a chance, you should kind of live around the world. Okay. Oh, so cool. she took an opportunity and she moved to London. Oh, wow. Um, so my, my daughter's been living in London for a couple of years. She left Google about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and she went to a bank, a challenger bank called Monzo. Okay. Um, what is a challenger so bank? Challenger bank is like if I ask you or, um, or Marshall or Mark, you know, where do you bank? You'll say I bank at XYZ Bank. And I'll go, why do you bank there? You go, I don't know. Who's the closest one? Okay. Um, challenger banks are now these new digital banks where like, you know, Gen, Gen Z and millennials, they want a bank. They love their bank. So it's totally digital, but not only does it, everything's transparent. They teach you how to manage your money. They teach you how to budget your money. Oh. And it's like a bank that kind of, yeah. it's, it's a different kind of banking. So it's kind of, the, it's the wave of the future, really. Yeah, it's like if Mint um, or Wealthfront had, yeah, I think Wealthfront has a bank. Right, but yeah. Yeah. if Mint and Venmo went together right. and formed a bank with yeah. lending and everything. It's called Monzo. And she's a programmer, um, right? Yep, yeah, she was a computer, yeah, she, was, she, was, she graduated in computer science and now she's what's called a product manager. Okay. So she's kind of, you know, she manages all the product and the, um, you know, she comes up with the ideas and manages the programmers and, but she still codes. And your other um, son, what does he do? My younger son is a mechanical engineer and he works at SpaceX. Dying. Okay. So, I know, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, yeah. That is cool. Most interesting man in the world SpaceX. in pharmacy is yeah. creating the interesting most, kids. The most interesting kids. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's like I'd always go visit him and be like, okay, yeah, I'm not talking about Sp- mine. SpaceX, man. <laughs> we were oh. talking yesterday because, he, listen, he's 25 years old and he's working on Starship living in L.A. Yeah. So it's not, you know, I said, you know, you, you should be a lot. Yesterday was his 25th birthday. So it's like you got to be proud of it, 25 years old, man. Yeah. How is he? Uh, how is L.A.? Yeah, how is L.A.? I've, I've heard. I mean, because the weather's nice and people outside – um, you know, it's, it, it, you don't see it as much as you see here in New York. I mean, he's, he lives in Santa Monica, so he runs on the beach and he goes oh, surfing yeah. and, you know, other than not going out to the bars at night, life is pretty normal and SpaceX, he has to go to work every day. Um, you know, other than putting on a mask when he goes to work, it's, uh, you know, it's not so bad. You he's know, I, right. I don't know what Hollywood's like in the city, Yeah. but, um, I think, I think LA's coming down now. Yeah. Huh. All right. So yeah. back to New York. I miss it. I'm, I'm ready oh to gosh. get back. Yeah, these, two I, both, these two both. Although for I'm, sure. a, I'm afraid that it's yeah. not what I missed. Right. Yeah. And, and so how is, how's the restaurant situation? How's, where are we today in New York? So the restaurants, the ones that have survived, they have allowed them to build these sidewalk things on the street. 
right? So they're building, but the, the what started as a little outdoor dining has 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 now gone into these massive structures, right? Oh, <laughs> so right. they're everywhere, you know, with heating and lights and and you name it, you know, with electricity running from the buildings. Every time every time I'm walking down the street, I see another one being erected. So um, they've eliminated a lot of parking. The good news is that there's not a lot of people driving in the city, so you don't really notice the problem. Okay. Um, People are starting to go out uh, to restaurants. You know, we've uh, the injection rate's pretty high, um, so people are starting to go out. I don't think you're going to see nightlife coming back. I think we've we've all got like, you know, we've all got what they call FOGO, fear of going out. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to take a while before people are comfortable being in bar scenes on top of people with a mask or without. Um, and um, but retail, you know, a lot of the retail stores have closed. I don't think they'll reopen. Oh. You know, you think about the concentric circles. So you've got the dry cleaners. Nobody's wearing suits to work. Uh, yeah. Clothing stores. How many? You know, uh, uh, how how many shirts do you need? Uh, we're all wearing the same clothes. Um, <laughs> the Broadway theaters, concerts, um, music venues, uh, markets, you know, we're all, you know, COVID was the great accelerator. So it just accelerated us to do things we probably would have done later on, like, you know, doing a lot more shopping online or, you know, it's so it's, it's quietish. Um, and a lot of people have moved out. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing that Jeff and I are noticing, cause we're starting to get out once a month and visit pharmacies, we're finding a lot of rental cars are from New York. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of rental cars oh. you see around have New York plates on them. That makes sense. Where yep. people had driven one way down, and surely they bought a car. Well, this was, I guess, the last couple of things we've been, yeah. been in Florida, where we're seeing a lot of people move to. Oh, well, you know, New York, financially, the city is in trouble. Um, a lot of people moved out of New York to save the tax. Um, you know, we have 10%, 10 11%. Uh, you know, you save 10 or 11% when you go to Florida. Yeah, um, that's true. And a lot of companies aren't requiring people, the big, big companies and the big skyscrapers aren't really requiring people to go to the office. So they figured if they don't have to go to the office, why are they paying rent here? Right. Um, so, but I think, I think companies are going to start to force people to come back. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you see a lot of the memes and stuff with the, you know, being called the time to come back to work and you don't live there anymore. <laughs> well, I was talking to somebody in San Francisco um, and I don't know what Google's doing, but a lot of the tech firms now, they allow the people to move. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I think some of the tech firms are, are, ter- are going to turn to the employees and say, listen, we're paying you San Francisco money because you live in San Francisco. But if you're not living in San Francisco, right. we don't have to pay you SF money. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, work um, from home you, pays differently. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I go, wow, that's interesting. That's yeah. A whole different- yeah. You jumped off moving to Colorado thinking you had SF money and then they come knocking on the door two, two yeah. years later or a year later. Yeah. That changes things for um, sure. So New York legalizing marijuana. Oh, they are. Just, I didn't know that. Is that yes. No? Yeah, yeah. So CO Bigelow going to be a marijuana dispensary? I think we're going to stay away from that. I don't yeah. think nothing. I don't think anything good comes from that. Okay. They, they legalized it. Not only have they legalized it, but you can you can have five pounds in your house. Five pounds. Five pounds. Down boy. And you can <laughs> and you can have up to, and you can have up to three ounces on your person. Three that's ounces. a lot. That's a ton that's of a weed. Lot of, that's a lot of weed. Yeah. That's a- it's like let, so, let me, it's almost like breaking out loaves of bread. And so, stuff so where house. are these people going to get five pounds of marijuana? I don't even know where you buy that. You can grow it. You can grow it, or you can buy it. Okay. Um, it's probably going to be a, probably a year or two now. Uh, if anything, there's no more. You know, the police are not going to stop anybody for offenses. But I think it's probably going to be about a year or two before it starts. 
I think it'll be probably maybe similar to the LA, you know, the California model where they'll have like MedMen stores or, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but I don't really know. Um, it's probably not a bad idea, but. How's the crime? Uh, crime is up. Uh, it's more petty crime stuff, uh, you know, because the homeless problem is pretty bad. Uh, and, um, you know, if you think about it in any major city, nobody carries cash anymore. So, you, you know, so, so when panhandling goes on, there's, there's nothing to get, right? Because <laughs> nobody has any money on them. Um, nobody's carrying wallets, so there's nothing to pickpocket. You know, right. um, a lot of stores are closed and so there's nowhere to shoplift. And, um, you know, in the wintertime when the homeless people get hungry and cold and it's sad, um, they get desperate. And so they do stupid things. Um, and so there are, you know, you see, you see crime is up. I mean, it's not, New York City is not unsafe. Right. Um, you know, the, the city itself, but it is a lot, you know, where it's almost, you know, I, I don't want to do a bad advertisement for New York, but we're getting close to what the seventies were like. Okay. Um, but it, it'll, it, as the people will come back, it'll, it, it'll, it'll, it'll turn. It's just the one it's, you know, when it's dark and cold at night and, you know, it was getting dark at five o'clock, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night and people weren't outside. It's, um, it was a little well, seedy, but it's getting back. The human experience is that people forget the bad and only remember the good because the tourism's going to come back. You know, it's going to come back. It, you know, it's, yeah. it's going to, people are going to go back to New York. People are going to travel and, and maybe even there's going to be this big surge of people who haven't got to go anywhere are going to go and, and, uh, the people who survived, they're going to do tons of business and open up new businesses and, Maybe there's kind of a... Yeah, I mean, we put up, you know, New York City, we put up with the rats and the garbage and the homeless and the crime, you know, all those things because there's so many cool things to do, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So right now the cool things aren't there. So it's not, a, you know, it's, it's, a hard, it's hard to give somebody a compelling argument to come running back in. But as those things slowly open up, I think, I think they're going to start to open theaters a little bit in the, in the fall. August? In the fall? Um, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think yep. I saw August. August is what I saw. Yeah. And if music comes back and sports comes back, you know, as these things come back little by little on the table and people get more comfortable being around other people in mass gatherings, yeah. I think it'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. I mean, we're yeah, dying so for it. Jeff's talking about, you know, seeing memes about, you know, post COVID world where they're like, great, come back into the office. So the funny, uh, I guess, meme or GIF that I'm seeing is uh, Wayne's World where they're like got their backstage concert badge and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, 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 oh, yeah. look, look, look. Oh, yeah, so yeah. you're going to see Shoving people, their badge and you're going to see people waving yes. their COVID card going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. look, look, look. So I like Broadway. <laughs> we were actually, Marsha and I were actually in, um, New York, where New York, when the, it was the all, the day the music died. Pretty so much. The, yeah. The, the day they, were they there. Yeah. the yeah. day they closed Broadway. So, uh, yep, wow. I was going to take we my daughter actually, uh, to, my wife was there and, and my daughter, and her daughter, first time in New York. And I was so, going to take her to see Mean Girls and Beetlejuice. And I woke up that morning to, your tickets are canceled. So When was this, March, what, 10th, 11th, 12th? Yeah. Somewhere uh, around the 13th Earth? through the 16th. Yeah, yeah. mid-March mid for sure. Yeah, yeah so I was, at the, I was at the mega super spreader event, the Allman Brothers 50th anniversary last concert at Madison Square Garden on March 10th. Oh, oh wow. Um, the spreader of all spreader <laughs> the events. spreader of all spreader <laughs> events. <laughs> And then New York started to deteriorate from the 11th on. Yeah. Allman Brothers. It's crazy. Yeah, it was the la their last show, the 50th anniversary. Oh, man. Mm. Are y'all uh, yeah. vaccinating? Are y'all, uh, is, is CEO Bigelow um, doing yeah, vaccines? Yeah. So we've been vaccinating, um, not, um, 
we were doing kind of God's work. We were just, we weren't advertising it. We were just reaching out to people that we knew that were over 80 years old, people that couldn't get themselves vaccinated anywhere else. And it was exhausting. I mean, it was amazing. Um, And people were really thankful. So we were doing that in the the beginning. Um, We just took a little, about two weeks ago, we took a little hiatus because the staff was just, you know, it's it's exhausting work. So the staff was a little um, beat up. And we were smart to so smart. Um, was supposed to start again last week, but um, we were going to do J and J this this the, the, these rounds. And I guess that whole issue with the J and J vaccines kind of dried up the supply for guys like us. Yeah. So um, we haven't gotten any. But I, I don't know how it works in other states. But we're not really told. All of a sudden, it just appears. Yeah. Right? Okay. FedEx sends you an email on a Monday, and they say, "Hey, you got a package coming." And then Tuesday morning, a hundred or two hundred vaccines show up, and then they say, "If you don't unload them in five to seven days, you're going to get fined." Oh and wow! So then, we, yeah, then we scramble wow. to get them all scheduled, and in, in a you know, um, but we we did a, Alec Alec put it together. He did an amazing job with it. People were you know we 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 earned a lot of goodwill. We helped a lot of people, um, and we'll do you know, we'll do it again. He, he really he really rallied on that, and it was amazing. Was it saving lives? Was it federal supply? Did y'all get federal or did y'all get state? We were part of the state program, I believe. Yeah. Because y'all are Um, CPSN, CPSN, right? But did y'all apply for the federal one? We didn't because we didn't, again, we didn't, I don't know how other pharmacies are handling it. We didn't know how we were going to handle it. Um, And we wanted to do it, you know, in a meaningful way. So we're doing it in a separate location in the building. Um, We either, we either do it ourselves or we, sometimes we have some nurses who help us out. Um, we do it very privately. They come up one by one. Um, we're doing, you know, we want, we want it to be, you know, we want it to be private. We didn't think it would be a good idea just injecting people in the middle of the store in the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, so we were very cautious about how we handled it. Some people are just taking everything they're giving them and just, and we also didn't want to be forced into breaking rules. Right. So mm-hmm. we've been very like, you know, Alec was very systematic about it. Yeah. We, I just talked to uh, someone in Philadelphia who's in the same boat. Um, he didn't, it wasn't part of a federal program, part of like, I think part of the state or city, um, there in Philadelphia, it's the same situation here. Like he got called, um, 15 minutes before I talked to him and he's like, it's getting here tomorrow. <laughs> and, and yeah. I haven't had any yet. And this is my first, you know, set. And, and, um, obviously he was nervous, just really on their side, he was saying it's not super well coordinated as far as just information flowing to him. Um, they couldn't get it. And then you have folks here in Texas too. They're doing a little better. They're usually getting a week ahead of time as far as the notifications go. So it's all, it's no, all over no, the place. We find out 24 hours in advance. We don't want to schedule until we actually have it in our hand because right, I would right. hate to call somebody who's looking, who's excited and tell them I can't do it. And so the minute we get it, we hit the phones, Yeah, <laughs> we schedule people. Then, you know, most of the people we're calling can't even get on a computer, you know, hi, do you have a computer? No, I don't. Okay. We'll fill out the forms with you when you get here. And, um, so we did a lot of that and then getting them back for the second shot. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, it was really, you know, it's what it's, it's part of the job that really, you know, feels good. Cause I think we helped so many people who just were lost, yeah. um, yeah. in the system. We yeah. worked with some well, of the so senior centers. Yeah. I had a little example of that. Um, my grandmother, um, we've been trying to tell her to get the shot and she finally, after several cousins had told her they got it. Well, anyways, she walked into, um, a pharmacy and, uh, she asked if they had the COVID shot and the COVID vaccine. And they said, yes, you got to go online and schedule an appointment and fill out this information. And she started to walk away and go, okay, well, never mind. I'll figure it out later. And they didn't let her leave 
And that was like a huge. Yeah, that's cool. They filled, they, they did the forms for her. They vaccinated her. And I was just, I called that pharmacy and I said, thank <laughs> you. Thank yeah. you for not letting yeah. me leave. Well, that's the kind of stuff we were doing. We would call up people, you know, 90 years old and say, hey, Mrs. Jones, yeah, have you been vaccinated? And she go, no. And I go, you want to be? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Just get here, right? Just get here. We'll yeah, get just done. get here. We'll get it done. Yeah. And yeah. Cool. So were y'all doing vaccines before? Were y'all doing flu and shingrits? Yeah, we were doing and... flu shots and other, uh-huh, yep. Shingrits, yep. all that kind of yep. as well? Yep, We don't give them quotas, though. Okay. <laughs> you're not you're not patrolling the aisles. <laughs> you're not helicoptering the, the patients. We don't have the we don't have to give the pharmacist benchmarks or quotas on how many they give a day. Right, yeah. right. You don't have an immunization. They're very happy about rolling out. Which there. they're very happy about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I interview chain pharmacists, that's the one thing you know. Oh, they, there's they like a list it. of the aggravating things about yeah. the chain, right. and one is the quotas for vaccines. Yeah, they have to literally chase people down in the aisles. <laughs> Go, have you got a vaccine? Right. Have you got a vaccine? No. Yeah. Probably. I interviewed a pharmacist a few weeks ago who said that she had given 77 vaccines on that on the on, on one day that week in addition to filling prescriptions. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, with like single pharmacist coverage, basically. Yeah. And, and she was looking for a new job. Yeah. Is that- uh, yeah. Well, I said I said to her, usually, you know, I've done this. We, you know, we as you guys know, my staff's been here forever, so it's very rare that we interview for people. But um, I. Uh, I can tell when I'm interviewing somebody whether they're they're at the limit or not at the limit yet because you know some of the some of the chain benefits are pretty good, but she was definitely at the limit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, That's I didn't have to ask her the question. <laughs> so, did they ever finish the construction on the outside of your building? Uh, so the shed is still up. Okay, <laughs> uh, which is just a protective thing, but the building is no longer wrapped. Okay, uh, we are in the home stretch. Okay. We just got it's been know, what three uh, years? It feels like been th- it's actually been three years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we just got landmark approval literally a week ago. It's funny you asked, and because um, landmark has to approve everything, oh. and we're waiting for the Department of Buildings to sign off on the safety, and then we're good to get it to get to get it out. Nice. nice. Okay, so can yeah. I ask about Alexa the cat? Uh, uh, Allegra. 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 I like that she's yes. named Allegra. after a medication. Allegra. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So we've always had a cat here because we used to have a soda fountain many, many years ago. And, and um, those go together? Uh, yeah. You have food. <laughs> okay. I got you. <laughs> yeah. Food. But we haven't had food since 1984. But um, the cat became kind of like a thing. And uh, more people come to see the cat than come to see the staff. Oh well, yeah, because so, um, she's, y'all's mar- your marketing team is like posting what Allegra what Allegra is doing that day. It's like, oh, she's asleep in the front display. People love that, though. Oh, if you want to amuse yourself, you should go look at our partners in Japan. The uh, their Instagram, CEO Bigelow JP, okay. because they the, the Allegra is super famous in Japan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they're more fascinated with the cat than we are. Um, but yeah, <laughs> nice. so we've had this cat, I don't know, 11, 12 years. Um, and yeah, it's named after Allegra, you know, Allegra, the allergy drug, right. um, because I'm super allergic to cats and I'm not a huge <laughs> cat fan. So they did that as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. If yeah, you ever look the, at their Instagram or their, their social media, sometimes it's like they, they always post what Allegra's up to that day. Along with pushing yes. cat you know, videos and stuff, or what, like Instagram, well, it's not even, it's, man. It's like, not even videos. Place. It's just, hey, we've updated the front windows. Come check them out. And Allegra's asleep right there in front. No, Allegra. Allegra gets a lot of uh, a, a lot of engagement. So can, one when the, can we get a cat? One of the cool things that uh, we went to one time that you guys did was the bourbon and a barber. 
Was yes. Oh, yeah, the shaving event. Yeah. The, the shaving you, event? You would like that. That sounds great. I love yeah, bourbon. So we, we have another business, as you guys know, where we uh, they handle Bigelow Trading that handles the sales and marketing for our Bigelow brand. <laughs> but we also... Um, for obvious reasons, I'm fascinated by other families. So we represent a couple of families who have these multi-generational heritage brands from outside the U.S. So we represent a family in Florence, we represent a family in Capri, and we represent a family in Turkey. And one of the brands we represent is called Parazzo, and it's a shaving brand from Florence. Uh, it's the number one shaving brand in all of Italy. Every young boy in Italy learned to shave with Parazzo. And... Um, and, uh, you know, they trust these families, trust us to take care of their brands as we would take care of our own brand. So we um, so we do a lot of cool uh, initiatives with a lot of these brands. So we have a barbershop here in the village. Um, and then we do these pop up like events at bars and stuff where we'll do a collaboration with like a whiskey brand and we'll teach guys how to shave or we'll bring in a suit maker or fragrance people. Um, yeah, it's yeah, really it's neat. Weird, you would have yeah. liked it. Like they Man. have legitimate. It's old school barber. Yeah, that sounds um, so fun. Plus, but now it was bourbon. They, and there they was have bourbon, bourbon tasting. Yeah, yeah. And there was bourbon tasting yeah. there. So yep. we have these master barbers, and you know, a lot of guys have never they they've seen this straight edge shave, but yeah. they've never really experienced one firsthand. So it's a way to like you know immerse them in this true Italiano experience of getting a getting a shave with a hot towel, drinking some bourbon. You know, the barber shop is um. You know, the Mark, is like, Mark is like, okay, I love New York now. <laughs> Apparently, I just didn't do the right things. I just didn't do, didn't do, didn't do well, the there, right things when I was in New York. There wasn't one going on when we were there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marcia had I need to had, get a list from Alec Marcia or Eden, had, Ian and, 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 and go do the Yeah, Marcia had Mark in do. New York for like one day before going on a cruise. Ran, on a cruise. And she was dragging and I, him around. I dragged him hard. <laughs> ran me ragged, man. <laughs> but, but no bourbon and a barber. No bourbon and a barber. That because sounds it, super relaxing and great. I don't know. But anyway. We just launched this big marketing campaign for Parasso about that bond between the, the barber and the client, which, um, you know, that relationship between barber and client, which has been severed a little bit, you know, or, or stressed a little bit during COVID because you can't go see a barber every mm -hmm. month or so. Sure. So it's a video, it's a video campaign. If you go on the Parasso website or you might see it while you're streaming and it's, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's really cool. We, we picked, um, we have these, well, these, these, barbers in different cities, LA, New York, Boston, and their and their and clients of theirs and that relationship between the two. It's really cool. And Alec does this Alec's got a cameo in the New York one. Nice. So cool. See I, yeah. I like I live my whole life. I'll never be this cool. But that's okay. <laughs> right. I'll live vicariously. I'll, I'll come see you once in a while, and I'll, just and I'll see what super cool is is like. When, when yeah. do those kind of things start again? When when do you do those? Start doing yeah. that kind of stuff in New York again? Um, we'd like to get back to doing events. It's when people are going to be comfortable being touched. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I, and I think they will soon. Um, uh, but we hope so. We're just wait. We're just waiting and seeing. We're doing some things now. So. Um, even on the hotel side, you're not seeing big hotels open up, but you're seeing smaller sp spots. So, you know, maybe in New Hampshire, Vermont, Utah, Colorado, smaller hotel properties people are going to, um, the Hamptons. So we are doing an event out in the Hamptons, I think Memorial Day weekend, where it's a smaller property and we'll set up, um, it's not for Perazzo, it's for one of our other brands, but we'll set up a, like a tent kind of thing where people can experience the brand outdoors, you know, at a resort. So if somebody um, wants to, you know, potentially jump in on one of these new pop-ups that are coming back, um, where would they find your new pop-up schedule? 
So you should uh, you follow us, follow our social handles. Um, generally, Proraso USA is one of the social handles. Um, Golsha USA is another social handle, or even just follow our handle, and sometimes we'll promote it also. Okay. Okay. And what was your and handle? We talk about that. Uh, Co Bigelow at Co Bigelow at Co. Okay. Yeah. Co Bigelow. Yeah. 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 Follow us on Instagram. I'm already following. It's so, it's so interesting. <laughs> Mark's going to be following now. Well, yeah. <laughs> On that shave event. Flying Mark's New York. Gonna be, are, you a, are you a bourbon fan? <laughs> I'm really a vodka guy, but I have, um, as most of us have been drinking a little more during COVID when yes. we've been locked inside <laughs> in the winter. Yes, um, sir. I do have, you know, through the years I've amassed quite a collection of things that people have given me that I never really enjoyed, but I've started to learn to enjoy because rather than just pouring myself a giant glass of vodka on, on ice, you know, I pour a little <laughs> bourbon in a glass and I sit and watch TV and sit you know? So yeah. Yeah. Mark has uh, become like a little bit of a, a bourbon snob with I, I, Helen. Yeah. Although yeah. I found my favorite whiskey now. Yeah. Well, it's, I went from like, give me something green, sweet and in a fun glass to like, <laughs> give me bourbon. <laughs> yeah. We were always, we go to a restaurant and everybody orders drinks. The one it, that comes out and looks the girliest. <laughs> oh, that's Mark. Usually me. Usually well, was now like he's. Even, it was. This is this is like the him. best one ever. Um, it was one of our anniversaries. He took me to a really nice restaurant. Really cool. You would like it. They had the yellow submarine. Yeah, they did. They had in a, yellow submarine. An aquarium there. Yep. And uh, we order our drinks, and uh, the waiter tries to wait, tries to discourage him. Go, um, sir. That comes tiki style. Yeah. And, he, <laughs> and I was like, it better. It better. <laughs> and my, mine came out now like a James Bond looking martini glass. And he kept this like blue thing with an care. umbrella. <laughs> He's like, I don't care. So <laughs> I do me. Yeah. I do me. Like whatever, man. <laughs> because it was good. But bourbons have gotten cool. And a lot of people have been trying different stuff. And yeah. Somebody gave me a bottle of Woodford Reserve. Oh, is yeah. that a bourbon? Yeah, or a Kentucky, oh, that's yeah. a Kentucky bourbon, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. It's pretty solid. Um, but yeah, I'm learning to do it. But I'll, I'll go back to vodka on ice over the summer, and I'll come back in the winter. Yeah, So yeah, I found a vodka that, that I like. I really like now. It's it's cucumber, and it's yeah. it's so easy to drink, like, on a dangerous level. Like, <laughs> yeah, like crack. Yes. <laughs> COVID. Yeah, like, you can drink like it, and crack. you're like... I'm not feeling buzzed, but I'm feeling pretty good. Let's have some more. Oh and it, it's cucumber. Did Bigelow do alcohol during uh, Prohibition? We oh, did yeah. sell alcohol during Prohibition, yes. You had to get it. With a prescription, With a prescription, right? Yeah. yeah. With a prescription, of course. I, you know, again, there is some, there is legends that sometimes they didn't, but right. that, that I can't confirm. Yeah, we so can confirm our Is this similar to like the... Yeah. Is this similar to like the wine where they, they said, absolutely do not stick this in a jug of water and sit for two weeks in a cabinet? Yes, exactly. That's awesome. Oh, so that would be selling the little dry stuff too. Yeah, it was like a little brick and it was during Prohibition. Uh, wine, I mean, wine was starting to be a thing in California and they they were told you can't sell wine anymore. And so somebody made it into a brick and then on the, on the box, it, they said it was like soap or something. And um, on the side of the box, it had a big do not put this in a in a jug of water and let it sit in a cabinet for two weeks or it will turn into alcohol right do not, do uh, not yeah do, they, they sold it you. as they sold it as dried wine dried grape juice yeah, yeah they pretty much but they had yeah. a they had a warning on it that told you exactly what to do to make, exactly to ferment to make it. Yep. 
Well, right. I bet you. I, I don't know. I bet they got some prescription or if they do from from some famous people with. Uh, yeah, they probably have some with, alcohol. Uh, some alcohol because I know Winston. I know there's I read a story where Winston Churchill, when he came over to the U.S., had his doctors like, "You write me a prescription for thirty days worth of all the alcohol I want." <laughs> when he was coming oh, no, over, we, well, in the prescription books, we have prescription books for for opium and for cocaine and yeah. for you know going back for years. Yeah, it's yeah. huh. cool. Yeah, those used probably yeah. used to be the hidden books, right? But now they're the right. They're the 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 out books. Statues no, it's um, it's amazing. Once in a while, I'll take a book out and you just go through it. It's amazing the stuff you learn about yeah. people, about treatments, about doctors, about all kinds of stuff. It's fascinating stuff. Well, I think we're running out of time, so uh, it was a pleasure. I, I miss getting to see you every once in a while and hearing a few stories there, here and there. And no, getting- listen, we're honored when you come. We, we learn so much from you when you're here, and uh, you really have helped us a lot. Um, I always say, like, I said, we'll never get close to the chains in tech, but we'll get pretty damn close thanks to you. Yep. But we'll kick, their, we'll kick their butt and everything else. That's all right. So, Love it. Um, so, yeah, through, through you guys, it's been, it, it, some of the stuff has been really, really helpful. Well, tell Bruce and Alec we said hi. Yes. And yeah. We definitely we miss them, too. I've Love emailed back and forth a little bit with Bruce on a couple of things, but uh, – Hopefully uh, everything's going to pick up soon and we'll get to see you guys and just appreciate all you do and hearing about the stuff you've oh, done no, for thanks. COVID. And, yeah. And, no, thanks and, for everything. We'll have to get Alec on now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that might be fun. <laughs> see his little journey. Yeah, it'd be good school. with like him and Bruce. I think that, they, to me, they're funny together. Yeah. They are kind of funny. <laughs> we enjoyed it. Thank you for your time. Thank you and so much. Best wishes. Hey, thanks guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerRx on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.